So our series is called, the title, the title, as Mike said, is Untying the Knots. I've already put three knots in my string because I believe we're going to look at this text and we're going to find three things that might be tying you up in knots. And this text is going to give us, maybe give you some clarity about how, how Jesus is untying those knots for you. Um, so I've already got my three in here. Um, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of four, of Mark 4, 33 through 34, goes this way. He says, with many stories like these, Jesus, he presented this me- his message to them, fitting the stories of their experience to their experience and their maturity. Isn't that wonderful? That uh, Jesus could speak to everybody in particular and that he considered the people in front of him and every audience in, a self, in, as a, in his self-donating love, as a phrase that's out there that describes him, uh, his self-donating love, he fitted the stories to people's experience and maturity. He was never without a story when he spoke to people. And when he was alone with his disciples, he went over everything, sorting out the tangles and tying the knots. So I just love that, that context uh, that uh, Eugene Peterson gives us there. So here's the text for today. I'm going to read it. This is from Mark, uh, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Uh, this whole passage in Mark 2 uh, fits into a larger passage that goes into chapter 3 about forgiveness. And we're just going to look at this one story, which uh, is a very well-known story. And everybody loves this story and loves to hear it, I think. So here's the way it goes. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get to him, Jesus, because of the, could not get to him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And everyone was amazed. And they praised God saying, we have never, we've never seen anything like this. This is God's word. Lord, we want to say yes to all that you have to show us uh, in this text. So I'm going to take on this first knot that occurs to me here. Uh, the first knot that occurs to me that ties me up after six days out there and, and come in here to be in this community and, and, and let God untie this knot for me. The knot I deal with, and, I, and if you're anything like me, you do too, is this. 
that I live like the answers to my problems are out there, but the real problems are in here. I live like the answers to my problems are out there in the environment, they're outside of me, but the real problems are in here. There's a podcast that I listen to occasionally. It's called This Jungian Life. It's a little out there. Um, but a couple months back, there was a short conversation among the panelists about resilience. And what they said was that uh, Jungians are, are therapists, counselors, and what they said was that in their clients, what they see these days is less and less resilience in people and more and more belief that what is troubling people is perceived to be out there and not in here. The problems are more and more perceived to originate in their external in the environment that's external to us and less and less in the interior world of, the, of ourselves. And this orientation, if you can imagine, is creating a collective culture where more and more people act and say things like that the things that are out there in my life, they, those things have to change because if they don't change, I can't be happy. That their happiness and, and their hope, enjoy everything they want, is, is, can't happen until their, their environments changes. And that we're coming to a point in our culture where we cannot stand anyone who stands for anything different than us. We can't give comfort to anybody who is around us that makes us uncomfortable. And internally, we are diminishing in responsibility, in our own responsibility, in our own resilience, in hope, and in growing, and we're growing, excuse me, in apathy, cynicism, pessimism, and nihilism. And since I've heard this, I've just been listening to the, the, the noise in my head and listening to people talk. And of all those things, man, cynicism is running wild in our culture. Cynicism says in the face of difficulty, why bother? It won't make any difference anyway. And it's, it's, a, it's a reaction, it's a response to real difficulty or frustration, and it's an attempt to not be hurt, but it's entirely, entirely misdirected. So how does this apply? So for many Christians, I think the symptom of this first knot shows up in our prayers, which can have this heavy orientation to the externals that are out there and a lack of expression of our trust in God's good for our lives, his word and his ways, and the need for awareness and confession of our own contributions to the difficulties that we face. Prayers that sound a little bit like the biggest way you can help me, God, is to fix what's out there, not what's in here, my past, my relationships, the current culture, the momentary politics, what my kids are doing, what my kids aren't doing, where will they go to school, my aging parents, the disease I have. God, if you will, just heal me of those things, move me past them, or somehow just delete them, make it invisible. Verses. A prayer that would sound something a little different might sound like this. God, if it's your will, heal me. I put my will into your will. Speak gently to me. 
show me my motives. Bring me to honesty about how I am loved by you. Help me to trust you more. Give me courage to own my own contribution in the situation. And give me the wisdom to know what to do. Hear the difference? One of the best things we can do for ourselves, well, one of the best things you can do if you're not in a small group is to, is to get to be part of a small group at Warehouse or somewhere. And one of the best things that can happen in small groups is this very old practice called confession. And that sounds scary. But man, I have to tell you, like when my group comes together, we come together on Thursday nights, and people are really honest about their failures and their difficulties and what's really going on in their lives, we really grow together and we grow up and we grow in Jesus too. Saying out loud what's true about us, not having to put a, a good face on everything, really bringing a strong confession. In a, in a little while, we're going to do communion at the end of the service. I would just encourage you to take a moment before you go to, con- to, go to communion and consider what it is that the Spirit is bringing up to you about where things aren't right in your own life, in your interior life. And to pray that, confess that, and give it to God for forgiveness. So confession is another, it's just, we're lacking confession, and, and, and it's a real sign that we're living like the problems are out there, and they're not in here. So imagine, if you can, for a moment, that you're in a house, that house in Capernaum, with all that crowd, or even I imagine if, if suddenly we started hearing people walking on the, on the ceiling here, right? And they came here, and then like they had a hat, they had like, it's a little bit harder roof to get through, but somebody started chopping our big saw, right? And, right? and Bob would be worried because he'd be like, that's going to cost a lot to fix, right? We're gonna get, that's going to be bad. And they just, somebody just started letting somebody down through the, through the roof. I mean, it's amazing, right? The song that the band uh, was doing at the end there, thank you. Desperate right? Desperate. We'll do anything to get into the presencing of God, the presencing Jesus. We'll do anything to get to that. And that would be amazing. You could hear the sounds. Don't overthink this. Don't overthink this. What's the first thing that comes up to you this question? What did those four friends have inside them that's not inside you right now? What was inside of them? that maybe you have it, but it's such a small thing and maybe God wants to fan it into a big old fire. Pray for that. That could be the thing you want to confess. Why does Jesus, it's so confusing, a paralytic comes through the ceiling, they put him in front of him and Jesus says, son, son, your sins are forgiven. Is that why they brought him? For Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven? Question for us might be, do modern people like us even believe in sin anymore? Look at our prayers. Look at the content of our prayers. What's what's the ratio there? That'll tell you. We might not like to hear this, um, particularly if our orientation is that what's the biggest problem is out there and less about what's in here. But what Jesus is, is saying strongly, silently, and gently is this. 
As difficult as your paralysis is, my child, there's something even more difficult than what you are focused on, and that's the forgiveness of your sins. Tons and tons and tons of research shows that hurt people hurt people. Right? Hurt people hurt people. Until we experience forgiveness from God. We'll never be able to forgive others, not really. And until we forgive other people and let go of the circumstances around us that are out there, I mean, really let go, then we're going to suffer more from what's out there when we could be benefiting from a new kind of freedom and hope in here. Lewis Smeads, um, who was an amazing writer, not very well, not very well known and expert on forgiveness, um, this is a quote of his, he says, when you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut the malignant tumor out of your inner life and you set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was yourself. And that's just such a blessing and such a great offer. So I'm just going to untie one of my knots here. That's the first knot. The knot of thinking that I need what's out there to get right, to be right, made right before I can move into wholeness. Knot two um, is having this old, that my old beliefs about God no longer work for me. And the new ones seem too good to be true. It's that feeling that what's been working is not working so well for me anymore. And uh, what's coming to me seems too good to be true. I don't know if I can trust it. Uh, so we can see something amazing about Jesus in this story. Lots of things. But one thing is that um, he could see hearts. <laughs> he could see what was in people's hearts. Uh, in verse 5, we, see, we read that Jesus saw the faith of the four men, right? And, and that, that and you have to ask, well, what did he see? I mean, how do you see faith? That's what he said. He said faith, he, he saw the faith, he saw their faith. He saw a demonstration of their heart condition. Uh, Tremper Longman III, not the fourth who's back there, by the way. By the way, I don't think this sermon could have happened without Tremper Longman III and, uh, and Tim Keller. Uh, faith then is an assertion of trust even when our circumstances point in a direction that seems to call into question God's goodness. If you're paralytic from birth, you have reason to believe and to question God's goodness. And yet here's this faith and this trust. And Jesus can see that even though it's not spoken. Other people I'm sure looked at the situation. If I was there, I would have looked at it, and I don't know what I would have thought. I probably would have thought, they're crazy, they're foolish, they're desperate. Uh, but it was really faith, because Jesus saw it. Jesus can see what's not working for us, and he can begin to show us what might work better, and it might seem too good to be true. In verses 6 through 8, we hear the silent cynicism of the teachers, uh, the way that Jesus heard it, uh, he, he can hear their motive. We don't have that. He said, now some teachers of the law were sitting there, right, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking 
in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? So he can see the motive and he knows what's going on inside, even when they, don't, even when they can't see it themselves. And Tim Keller, in teaching this passage, makes a really great observation, of course, and, and says that, uh, you know, there's something interesting about this paralytic. Jesus moves to forgive him of his sins. It's the first thing he does. But the guy never shows any repentance. Now, that's interesting because all of, most of Scripture teaches that there's no forgiveness of sins without, without real repentance, that there has to both have to be in place to happen. So how can Jesus give him forgiveness? Just more poetic than, than it is precise, but I have to imagine that uh, Jesus has eyes that can look so deep down inside of you and me and the paralytic and can find just the smallest speck, microscopic speck, blurry perhaps, of repentance, something that wants grace. And he can spot it there. And if it's there, and it's right there alongside of his sense of guilt, then Jesus is going to freely give forgiveness and also healing in totality. Think about that. Healing in totality. Maybe not all at once, but healing now, healing of forgiveness now, and healing of everything in totality. Just a speck. God can see your motive. It's too good to be true. He can see the good in you that you can't believe yourself. You can trust a God like that. Modern people don't believe in guilt anymore. I don't think they're not too much. Or if we do, we tend to believe, I think, that exists mostly in other people, in other places, those awful people. And it's usually in the, in the extreme. And I think the idea that there is justice for guilt is very uncomfortable for us. So um, you can hear it in our language. We say things like, um, hey, you know, we all have to figure out what's best for us. If that's true, and we're all working on that, then uh, why is it I feel like a fake? Why can't I shut off the voices in my head? that tell me I'm not okay, that I don't add up, that I'm a coward, that I'm missing the mark, that I'm over a boundary, that I've trespassed, that there's a stain inside me and I can't get it out. Jesus is so tender in the face of so much self-deception because he can spot in you what you can't see in yourself he sees what you want. He knows what you really want. Not the thing, but that you want him. So the big belief here that needs to change in order to untie the second knot is this. You have to come to a place where you can say, my life is unmanageable. I don't even know myself. I don't know my own motives. But there's a God who can see those things to the full and love me with incredible tenderness and fierce honesty. Fierce honesty. Side note. 
if we're ever going to attempt to share the gospel in our culture, and this, it's going to have to be done this way, and I, I, we're going to have to pray for courage to come up to the task to talk about sin in this culture because it is really uncomfortable, right? So big knot, that's my second knot. Big knot number three. I'm lost and I can't find my way home. So I, that last song I was like, oh my, <laughs> there it is. I'm lost and I cannot find my way home. I need the one whom I've offended most to lead me back to life. Some old Puritan, I'm riffing now, so I don't know the name, and I'm a really in dangerous place, but basically said, you know, I have offended, the, I have offended a God who had the comport of a friend. Just saying that God is a true friend and, and all my sin has, has been against him. When the teachers thought only God can forgive sins, they were absolutely right. Only God can forgive sins. Psalm 51.4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Jesus uses what the audience, excuse me, yeah, Jesus uses what they're thinking. And he says, which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's saying he's the Son of Man. He's saying that he's the judge. And he's saying that he has the right to forgive sins on earth. The word authority is also a triggering word, right? For people in our, in our era but you believe in it, you believe in authority, and I can prove it. I don't know what the origin of this little, this little exercise is, but you'll get it really quick. So if Bob stands up, Bob stand up, and Kathy can stand up, and, and who wants to be the third person? I'll be the third person. So, my wife's tough. So if Kathy walks up to Bob, and she punches him, give us a little, like, show him what that might look like, right here. Right, just go ahead. Just you know, give like you're an actress. Give him like one of your big slaps, you know. Yep. And and now Bob can't talk. And and so Bob's in pain. And I say something to Bob like, "Well, Bob, let me handle this. Kathy, I forgive you." So Kathy hit Bob in the chin, and I say to Kathy, "Kathy, I forgive you." And what is Bob going to say? Kurt, it's not up to you to forgive Kathy. Forgiveness is mine. Bob has the authority to forgive in that situation. And you thank you for the lesson. Yeah? And, um, and Jesus is saying, and the teachers were right, that every sin that needs forgiveness is against God and God only. And it's God's to forgive. Let that sink in. I don't believe that. Not functionally. I might know that's true, but this one takes a lot of wrestling for me. Personally, I've prayed and I've meditated long and hard, and it's very difficult for me to grasp that who I have sinned against is really God and not you or myself. But there it is. 
God is the only one with authority to give forgiveness for sins in totality for all time. I had some situations in my life where I wore out the runway, a lot of the runway in my life in my late 50s, and I had to wrestle with that in a new kind of way on honesty. And part of that was coming to terms with the fact that I had sinned entirely against God first. And as I did that, a new humility was generated. It was a wrestling match, and it was worth it. I'm nowhere near home yet, but it was worth it. So which is harder for God to do? This is kind of coming together now. Heal your wounds or forgive your sins? Healing what is out there, fixing what is out there, he can just do that by clicking his heels together three times. It's just that easy. Forgiveness, not so easy. Now, I know everything is easy for God because God is omnipotent. <laughs> so there's some kind of mystery in this. But forgiveness of sins required that Jesus live the life that we could not live or would not live and die the life we refused to die so that we could have an eternity in love with the Father and with each other. If that's not true, and if you can really untie all those knots by yourself, then Jesus is a fool. Right? If we're capable of untying our own knots, if we're capable of forgiving our own sins, if we're not in need of that sin, if we're not really sinful, we're not really in need of that, Jesus is a fool. I hope I'm making you uncomfortable. It, that, that is the functional, when I say functional, I mean that that's how we're really living when we're going through our lives without the desperation and the dependence on Jesus that's available to us. Jesus freely spent all all of himself, all of who he was, in word and in ways in order to forgive sin and to heal us. He's your true love. He's your true love.